0: 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself And your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. This is the word of the Lord. Well, over the past year, especially. I have awakened to a reality that I probably should have realized uh, in a much deeper way a long time ago. Odds are that I will not be your pastor for the rest of your life. I know. It's sad, right? Tear. But there uh, uh when I came to Plant this church, and as we've kind of gone along in that, and as the 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 weight of being an elder and a pastor uh, of a church and fell fell on me in a new way, in this role, um, there was a way in which I uh, God granted me a love for His people, uh, and and I just kind of began to assume that I was going to be the pastor of 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 the people in the pews for, for. for the rest of their life. Like, I would I would uh, do their kids' w- weddings, you know, and I would um, be the one who officiated their funerals, you know, not to be too morbid, but, like, there was just that, that, that was kind of the assumption that I had. I love these people, and I get to be a part, I get to play this role uh, by God's grace in their life for the rest of their life. Uh, but what I've come to realize is that the odds are, I mean, it could happen, but most likely, I am not going to be the last pastor that you have. Someone is going to pastor you after me. And we could talk about the various sinful reasons why that might be the case, right? And how people may be too quick to leave a church and so on and so forth. But, but that's not really my point today. There are also legitimate reasons why that may happen. God, uh, God calls us elsewhere. People move quite frankly, you might just outlive me, right? Recognizing that I will likely not be your last pastor. And how critically important God's word says it is for all of us to be under qualified pastors and elders. And with a heart Uh, for you, that I want you to be underqualified men. I want you to have someone that's pastoring you according to how the good shepherd wants you to be pastored because I care about you. And and after I'm gone or after you're gone uh, to somewhere else, I want you to continue to be pastored to Christ for the rest of your life. With all that in mind, I want to ask the question, what, what would you look for? What will you look for when that day comes, when you have to find a new pastor? What will you look for? What makes a good pastor? What makes a good pastor? I want to take a stab at a definition this morning, all right? It's a dangerous thing when you're the pastor and you're trying to take a stab at what a good pastor is, right? Uh, hopefully, I don't expedite your search for a new, new pastor here, but nevertheless, I'm going to try, anyways. A good pastor pursues godliness for himself and the church. At the most, uh, I guess what I'm arguing for this morning is at the, the most base, the most fundamental level. A good pastor pursues godliness for himself in the church. There could be a lot of other things that go on top of that that could make a pastor either better or worse. But at the very essence of it, at the the very core, the thing that's non-negotiable is this right here. He must pursue godliness for himself in the church. He must. And I want to consider this in sort of two movements this morning. First, How a good pastor trains himself. Does a good pastor train himself to that? And second, how a good pastor trains Christ's body. How ought a good pastor train you, church? And hopefully, hopefully we all can have a little bit greater, a better definition, clearer definition of what it is that God wants to do through a pastor in our lives. So, a good pastor trains himself. A good pastor trains himself. I want to look at a few ways that a good pastor trains himself. A good pastor is trained to point to Christ. A good pastor is trained to point to Christ. Uh, At the very beginning of our passage here, it says, if you put Put doesn't really communicate the strength of the meaning there. Like We say, you know, I put this, we put that there, we put that there. You know, it's kind of just, you know, a, a whatever word. But it doesn't really communicate the strength of the word behind this. Um, if this Greek word was to be put, um, uh, to, be, to be used as, as of ourselves, as it is in Romans 16.4, it's literally translated risking your neck. So if you were putting yourself... In Romans 16.4, they were putting themselves, and and the the translators translate it, that they risked their necks. That's the strength of the word here. So here it's in not the active voice, but the middle voice. So Timothy is emphatically pointing out. He's to emphatically point out or teach these things. And what are these things? Well, we just talked about it last week. It's the mystery of godliness. It's who Christ is. It's the revelation of, of all that he has done And so a good pastor's training doesn't serve the purpose of self-glorification. A good pastor isn't standing up here going, Hey, everybody, look at me. Look how great I am. Look how wonderful I am. It's not so that they can have a bigger following, but so that more follow Jesus. It's not so that people think more of him, but so that they think more of Christ. It's not that people think he's the answer, but... But Christ is the answer that he has for them. It's not so that people think, look how good he is. Look how, look how great of a pastor I have. Did you hear about the pa- my pastor? But so that people think, look how good Jesus is after they've been around him. Too often what I've seen, too often what I see is when a pastor leaves and a church hires a new pastor. Uh, and let's just say it's a good one. And I've seen this many times, a, good pa- uh, a church pastor uh, hires a good pastor, but he's a different pastor than the one they had before, with a different personality, with different strengths and different weaknesses. And even though he's a good pastor, within the first few years, half the church, half the members have, have left because it's just not the same. He's not the same as the other guy. The other guy was my pastor. This new guy isn't my pastor. And I have to ask the question, well, then were you looking to the pastor or were you looking through the pastor to Christ? Which was it? Were you coming every Sunday morning to worship the Lord and he was leading you to do so or were you worshiping him? Which was it? A good pastor is trained to point to Christ, but a good pastor is also trained by God's Word. He's trained by God's Word. See, to point the church to Christ, a good pastor must be trained. And the, the form of that verb indicates that it's an ongoing thing. It's something that is continually nourishes him. The, this pastor needs to continually be nourished by the right things. It's not a binge 30-day diet, you know? You all, we've all seen people, you know, get a, on the new di- diet fad, and it's like 30 days to a new you, and, you know, and they're like, oh, I, I didn't eat anything for 30 days, and I lost 10 pounds. It's fantastic. And then, you know, day 31, you know, they're, they're grabbing the carton of, you know, ice cream out of the freezer and the cookies out of the cupboard that have been there for 30 days and they're just like killing it. And then like within two days, they've got the 10 pounds back and it didn't even matter, right? It's not the kind of thing we're talking about here. This is a continual, consistent, long-term nutritional plan. This pastor feeds on God's Word. You see, a good workout program needs proper nutrition for fuel, Right? The pastor has, says has to feed on what? On, on the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Faith here means the faith, right? The faith, as in the core truths that make up Christian belief, that make up the gospel. These core truths that, about our own sinfulness and our need of a Savior, that you, you're a sinner, that outside of Christ, you are hopeless. You need a Savior, and that Savior must be Christ. And God, God's love uh, is seen in sending His Son to live and to die and to rise again from the dead to make a way of salvation for all who believe. And that we have hope. We have hope now because of Him, because of faith in Him. That's the faith, Right? But it also says of good doctrine that you have followed. You see, a good pastor is also trained by sound doctrine. The sound doctrine he's been following, that Timothy has been following, that is to say, he's gospel-centered, but he's not gospel only. We know that Timothy, Paul's talking to Timothy, and so this sound doctrine that he has followed, we know that Timothy was raised on the Old Testament Scriptures. That he was brought to faith in Christ through studying the Old Testament scriptures. And then he continued to learn what that looked like from Paul himself, right? We know that if we look at the context in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, some of his story, that his grandmother and his mother, from his very birth, was teaching him the Old Testament scriptures, and he learned them, and he came to faith in Christ, and then he went and he hung out with Paul for a while. He's following Paul around, and Paul continued to kind of say, hey, here's how this all works out. And so the gospel can't be central if there's nothing for it to be centered in. How can we say the gospel is central if we're not centering it in something? Christ can't be the climax unless there's a story that he fulfills and unless there's resolutions that follow in our lives. If it's only the climax, it's, not, it's no climax at all. And so all of the Old Testament scriptures all come to this point in Jesus. And then as all that, that truth about who God is and who he's been and what he's done uh, throughout the centuries, right? Throughout the millennia, as it's all f- fulfilled in and revealed in Christ, it produces all of these applications and all of these implications. And the apostles have written many of them in the New Testament. You understand, that's what Paul is doing. He's going, look, I know the Old Testament. And then I know what Christ has done. And so I'm pushing the Old Testament and everything I know about who God is, and I'm pushing it through the grid of what Christ has done in the gospel. And then, boom, here's how we should then live in Christ. A good pastor has to be trained by God's word. He has to be trained by that flow of thought. Let me put it a different way. Uh, You ever watch these cooking shows? It's gonna be a lot of like, Paul uses this example of like, uh, of like God, uh, bodily training versus godly training. So there's gonna be a lot of analogies in this sermon along those lines. So just prepare yourself. Right. So, so if you're watching one of those cooking shows, and uh, what they say on these cooking shows, I don't know anything about cooking, but what they say on these cooking shows is that the protein of the meal is always the most important part. You got to get the protein right. It's the central piece. It's it's the big deal of any meal that's prepared. But, also, you can't just slap some protein on a plate and feed it to someone. It, it, it can't be all that there is in the meal. A pastor needs a steady diet of all of God's Word, Genesis to Revelation. The gospel is the protein of the meal. It's the, that meaty portion, that, but, but great side dishes with, without the meaty gospel Great side dishes, but without the meaty gospel, ends up becoming emptiness. The emptiness of diverging myths, as our passage says. And that won't do. But a meaty gospel surrounded by nutritional zeros, if you will. You know, you put a nice piece of protein right there, and then you just cover it, surround it with candy. You know, it's some Swedish fish, you know, some, I don't know, that's the first candy that came to my mind, some Snickers, you know. It it results in malnutrition. There are other vitamins and minerals, if you will, that you need that come from what surrounds the meat. And so it's got to be all of this. Okay, a, a good pastor, points to Christ, he's trained by God's Word, but a good pastor is trained for godliness. The goal here is godliness. Godliness is like a a worshipful reverence of of the obedient life that results from a studying and knowing and, and abiding in God's Word. It's true religion. The word we used a few weeks ago was piety. It's not merely external religious actions, but it's not less than that. It also includes an inner reality or originating in that in, in a belief and a faith in that mystery of godliness that we were talking about in Christ. It's it's worshipful it's worshipful service. Paul says that physical training is of some value, and I appreciate that. I like as much as anyone to get a good workout in, right? Physical training has some value for this life in, in some ways. But training to godliness, it says, has promise for this life and the next. Notice that he doesn't merely say it has value for the next. I think a lot of times the way that we act as Christians, we act as if it's like, well, physical training has some value for now, but godliness has value for the next life. And that's for eternity, and so that matters, right? But that's not what Paul says, is it? Paul says, it, it, godliness has value for this life and the next, both of them. Sometimes we talk like following Jesus is sort of a, a bummer right now, but it's worth it for a ticket in heaven. Well, you know, I got to do this following Jesus thing to get my ticket to heaven. It's kind of a bummer right now. I got to wait in line, but, you know, no one likes waiting in line. But someday I'll get to, to ride the ride of eternity, and so that's pretty cool. But that's not Paul's attitude, and that's not Timothy's attitude. Or sometimes we talk about it like godliness is about some sort of ethereal connection to God that only exists on some spiritual plane up here, unconnected from our everyday life. And it's like, okay, I kind of got my everyday life here, and then, but thankfully like, I can go up to the ethereal spiritual plane and be connected to God for a while. But then then, I got, then Monday comes, and I got to go back to my everyday life and do you know, that everyday life stuff. And that's not what Paul's talking about either. That's not the vision that he's giving us. It says that God, God promises that godliness is valuable in every way. That God's word is to be applied to all of life. And that that is good for us. It's beneficial for us. It has value it, that, that he promises it has value for us. It has value for the next life. You see, your growth in godliness, your worshipful service right now, it actually matters for eternity. Do you think about that? That you growing in godliness right now in some way matters for the next life. That the extent to which you grow in godliness right now actually matters for the next life. Have you thought about that? Worship and service to him adds life. It it never takes away. Godliness is good for us now and for eternity. So, a good pastor is trained for godliness, but finally, a good pastor is trained with hope set on God. It says, To this we labor and strive. We labor and strive. It's hard work, it's not easy. There's one thing I know no one persists long in training, in physical training, without some hope. No one pushes through a workout without believing that it's going to actually make them stronger or healthier, right? I mean, if you were doing a hard workout, you go to the gym, you get a personal trainer, you're doing a hard workout, and, you, and you're sitting there and you're like, the trainer's going, you know, give me three more reps. And you're thinking, I can't do three more reps. And the trainer's going, no, you could do three more reps. Do three more reps. And you think to yourself in that moment, this is going to have no benefit for me. Are you going to do three more reps? No. You're going to be like, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to make some popcorn. I'm going to turn on some Netflix. I'm done with this right? No one cuts out something they love to eat from their diet because they believe it's not going to help them in the long run, right? The only reason you do that is because the doctor says, well, you need to stop eating that or else you're going to die sooner. And you go, okay, duly noted. Thank you. In this work, in this work, this hard work, what do we have to have our hope set on? What do we need to have our hope set on to continue to strive in that way? To do one more rep, to do one more sprint, to to not eat one more helping of dessert, if you will. Our hope must be set on the living God. On the living God. The God who gives us life but also the God who is not far off somewhere, but is actively involved right now in our lives and in creation in every single thing that happens. We have to have our hopes set on that God. The God, it says, who opened up a way of salvation for all kinds of people through Jesus, who is our Savior. says who is the savior of all people especially those who believe or or we could translate it that is those who believe you see what a good pastor is trained for focuses what he hopes in a good pastor is trained for godliness. He's not trained for popularity, he's not trained for wealth, he's not trained for any of those things. Those things can be had in lots of ways, right? I mean, if you want popularity, if you want riches, if you want comfort, if you want whatever, you can have those in lots of different ways. You don't have to be a pastor to get that. I don't I can't understand why anyone would want to be a pastor if, if that's what they're going for to be quite honest. Like it's much more effective straightforward ways for that. Those things you can have uh, by hoping in your own ability, your own effort, by hoping in the right strategy, the right resources, the right programs. But none of those things can promise salvation. None of those things can give salvation. Only Christ can do that. And so salvation Salvation that results in godliness, if we're trained for that, that demands that we hope in God and in God alone, in the living God, believing that God really is active and working, bringing life. The God who who brought Jesus back from the dead, we have to believe and put our hope in that God, that he resurrects spiritually dead men and makes them alive. That you are only... Alive. Because God did that. Not the person next to you, your coworker, your your friend, your neighbor, your husband, your wife, your brother, your sister, whoever it is, your kid. That they will only be brought to life in Christ through the living God. That's the only hope but it is a good hope because he does it and he did it in Christ. If a pastor's hope is not set on the living God, then either he will become hopeless as he continues to fail in his own power or he will become a bad pastor who decides to pursue other things instead. You get what I'm saying? He'll realize I can't actually obtain this thing in my own power by hoping in myself, and so I will settle for a lesser goal than godliness because I can actually get that in my own power. You see, a good pastor looks to Christ through God's word. He trains himself for godliness, and his hope is set on the living God, but he does not only train himself, he also trains the church. A good pastor trains Christ's body, if you will. Too many Christians want their pastor to be godly, but then they don't like it when that pastor starts writing them workouts, if you will. Anyone who has been a personal trainer, who has been trained by one of them knows, if you really want to get fit, then, then you're not going to like your personal trainer some of the time, right? You're just not going to. Like, there are going to be moments when you don't like that person, But then afterwards, you're thankful that you have them, right? But if you don't want to get fit and you have a personal trainer, you don't like them all the time. (laughs) You know, you never like them. You make me do hard things that I don't want to do for a purpose that I don't care about. Of course, you're not going to like them. A good pastor isn't only someone who is godly himself, but someone who really wants you to be godly as well. He really wants you to glorify God and enjoy him forever with all the joys and the duties that come along with that and all the changes that are going to have to happen in order to see that uh, come to full fruition. But you need to understand, church, what you are signing up for when you have a good pastor. You need to understand what you're signing up for. So what is a good pastor's training program? Well, well, first off, you need to understand what the key training goal is. Verse 11 tells us the key training goal is godliness. It's godliness. It's It's not your happiness. Let's just get this out of the way. The world tells you the most important thing for you is to be happy. I remember I was having a conversation with some friends and you know, uh, not, most of them not believers, and one was saying, well, yeah, I'm going to church. My wife wants to go to church, and so we're going to church. But, you know, I guess, uh, you know, it makes her happy to go to church, and, and that's what it's all about, right? I mean, I want my wife to be happy, and that's what the church thing is about, too. So, you know, I guess it works. I don't want to say, no, it's not. Who told, you? Who told you it was about being happy? There's nowhere in the Bible. It's about you being Holy. That's what it's about, and, and when, when you become godly, it just so turns out that it generally produces a greater amount of happiness and joy in our lives, because, because where there is no sin destroying us, when there's less sin destroying us, the result is greater happiness, but it won't always look like that uh, from the start. Look, I'm telling you, the person who, who, say, is overweight, and they go to their personal trainer, and, and there's nothing happy about that. Changing your diet, doing different workouts, whatever. But after a while, when they've lost the 20 or 30 or 50 pounds, and they can walk down the street without losing their breath, and they can get up without needing help, and they can do all of these things, they go, oh, my goodness this life is so much better. Why did it take me so long? That's what they say. And so there are two verbs here, command and teach. Command is a word used a lot in First Timothy. And if you look at the Greek word behind it, you'll find that it literally means command. Okay, no tricks here. It means command. A good pastor is going to command you. You need to understand that. He's going to command something. It's forceful. Timothy, you must order and direct this church in a particular way. And then teach is the communication. It's the explanation of that that truth that's being commanded. In other words, command, but also help them understand the biblical principles and the biblical reasonings why this is being commanded, why this much must be done. The the personal trainer says, hey, look, you need to get on that treadmill and you need to run this long. That's what you need to do. But a good personal trainer also helps them to understand why that's so important for their training procedure. What's being commanded and taught? Well, he says these things. Which things? The things he just discussed in the the paragraph before. You see, you thought all of that pointing to Christ and all of that looking to God's word and all of that uh, being trained for godliness and all of that setting your hopes on God, that that was all for just the pastor? No. No, Paul says. He says, Timothy, you need to do this In order that, then you can tell the church to do that as well. That's the same for them. You need to command and teach those things. If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander, right? Timothy is to pastor his church into the same things that he is pursuing for his own life. And if you don't want to be ordered to obey God's word, then you may just prefer a bad pastor who happens to have your same preferences. And sadly, that happens a lot in a lot of churches. And so the, the key training pr- uh, goal is godliness. The key, key training principle is. Example, verse 12, his example. Paul gives him two commands, one uh, a negative command. Don't let people despise you or look down on you because of your youth, but but positively set an example. And the verb is in the present tense, meaning it's not just like some magnificent thing that Timothy did one time and everyone goes, do you remember that time Timothy did this? What a great example. No, it's it's he's continually setting this example. He's continually doing it. Uh, it's, it's a consistent and ongoing example to the church. And there are five, Five areas that Timothy is to be an example in. um, Five areas. And none of them are his age. Five areas that the church should observe in him. Speech. How he talks matters. What we say, how we say it. What we feel like must be said versus what isn't. People pick up on all of these things, right? It's sort of a scary thing to think about set an example in speech, in conduct, how he behaves, in love. Remember, back in the first chapter it says, the aim of our charge is love. Are you setting an example in love? In faith? And faith could, it could be meaning faithfulness, but most likely, it's in his faith or his trust in God they should see that you trust God. Purity. They ought to be a model. Sexual purity. It's a fact of life. If you're looking to lose weight, you know, you go to the gym, you look for a trainer, you want to lose some weight. Your trainer, the trainer you look for doesn't have to be the thinnest person in the world, but they shouldn't be overweight. I'm guessing you're not hiring them if they are, right? You know, if I if I want to get stronger. My trainer doesn't have to be the world's strongest man, but but he ought to know how to do some squats and have done some in his life, right? Like he ought, to, he ought to be able to correct my form because he knows how to do it because he's done it. He ought to be able to get under the bar and show me by example how to do it. Pastor's got to set an example. He might not be the best example of every single thing, but he ought to be an example of every single thing. And so the key training uh, principle is, is example. The key training method is this preaching. We see this in verse 13. Three aspects are given. Here in verse 13, reading of Scripture, exhortation, and teaching, and it's not necessarily a sequence so much as it's a set for public or corporate training of the church. It's a set of things that need to happen for the corporate and public training of the church. So let me talk about each one briefly. Public reading of Scripture, it's simply that. Uh, Scripture is the basis for all training for the church. you got to read the Scripture you got to read the Scripture. Second, exhortation could be summed up, uh, it's like summoning, it's like asking, it's like comforting. It's, it's often tied to the public reading of Scripture. We see, uh, you, could, you can look in Acts chapter 13, verse 15, there's an example where Paul goes to the synagogue and they read the Scriptures and then, it, and then he's asked to exhort based on that Scripture. The sense of it is this, that the pastor should be encouraging the people to respond to the Scriptures in some way. Okay, you've heard the scriptures read, now here's how you ought to act. Teaching is more of the intellectual side. It's it's, uh, people need to understand. They need to understand why. They need to understand the biblical principles of that particular exhortation. And so to sum it up, pastors read God's Word, help people to understand the principles behind them, and encourage them to respond appropriately. That is the the key, the primary, the main training method for a pastor to the corporate body of the church. This is the bread and butter of a pastor's training program. Sadly, in a lot of churches and in our American church culture, God's word has become insufficient. God's word is seen as insufficient, as dry, as boring. It's not getting the job done. And oftentimes, it's taken the backseat to what uh, many have uh, begun to call worshiptainment. You know what I'm talking about? Go to church for the good show. The show will be, I'm sure, even bigger and better and more gooder next week. So I'll come back. Loud music replaces singing God's word to one another. Pop psychology replaces praying God's word. Fog machines and lasers replace experiencing God's word in communion and in baptism. A couple of funny stories from the pastor's life, a quote from a historical figure, and a few random verses sprinkled in replace preaching God's word. I mean, it is a... look. Their hope is set in something other than God. Their hope is set in something other than a living God. It's set in the right techniques, a formula of things to do. Rather than the Holy Spirit, through God's word, out of the mouths of God's shepherds, transforming our hearts for Christ. They go, well, if I if I If I stand up and I preach God's word, I don't—I don't have any guarantee it's going to produce the effect i I want. I don't have any guarantee it's going to transform these people's lives in the pews like I want. And so, you know what? I'll do. It's much easier to follow a set formula and fill a room because at least I know I can succeed in that. And if—and if a pastor wants to give his life to that, uh, it's it's not what I want to give my life to. I want—I want people to be changed for Christ. I want them to become godly. There's a newer trend that's also happening. As people begin, as pastors even begin to recognize the hollowness of worshiptainment, they conclude that the corporate gathering of the church must not, must not actually be important or valuable at all. And they're right in as much as they're evaluating the own, their own church that they've been at, but they've missed what the Bible actually says. And so the goal uh, becomes godliness, but, there is, um, but then they forget that there needs to be a qualified elder to set an example and to teach God's word. They forget that actually God calls his people to gather together. And so we fall on the other side of the tracks. We can't do that. God's people, God's training plan is is for the church to come together to worship by God's word, to pray God's word, for the pastor to actually preach God's word, to point people to Christ from his word. How does God, or how does a good pastor train the body? Well, In the last few verses, I wanted to share with you a few characteristics of the training. A few characteristics of the training plan that you can look for um, in verses 14 through the beginning of chapter 5. First, uh, a a good pastor uh, trains dependently. And what I mean by this is that a good pastor understands that, it's, that in his strength alone, godliness is impossible. He must depend on the Holy Spirit working through him. He can't do it by himself. God must do it. He is only playing a role in that. The superhero pastor doesn't work. He must look to the encouragement and dependence of other elders as well. You can't have the one guy. That's why we have a plurality of elders here at Proclaim. Well, that's why it's so important we see that in Scripture. So it must be dependently, dependent on God, dependent on others. It must also be diligently. He is to practice what he preaches, right? Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your Progress. Immerse yourself in them. It's like, be all in. You got to be all in on this. Be diligent. Give yourself wholly to it. In a couple of Greek words here, Paul dismantles everything I was told in Bible college about ministry. Everything I was told about ministry life balance, Paul demolishes it. I was told, you know, well, yeah, you got to do the work and, 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 and put in the time and, and do the things that God wants you to, but make sure that you kind of separate your life out from your work life, your, 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 your church life. Have this very firm dividing line and make sure you're not spending too much time. And, and Paul goes, no, that's baloney. Immerse yourself in it, pastor. This is a special call that you have, a special command from God. And it is it is different, and you must give yourself wholly to it. You must commit your entire life to this thing. Paul doesn't say that you need to do it excellently, does he? But he says your diligence must be revealed in your progress, in your improvement. Give yourself wholly to it, in such a way that the people in the pews can see. You are improving. They might not. They might go. You know, my pastor's a good pastor, but he ain't the best preacher. Now I've heard I've heard way better sermons from guys on YouTube. I'm telling you, uh, he's he's a good pastor, but he he's not the smartest. He didn't have very many degrees, and uh, he doesn't read Greek very well. He didn't know a single lick about Hebrew at all. Sorry, I'm just describing myself here. All of a sudden. <laughs> But I tell you what, he's improving. I tell you what, he gives himself totally to it. I tell you what, I can see his progress. His trajectory is right. Part of a good pastor's training of the body is his commitment to continuing to improve his skills as a pastor. Verse 16, we see that it has to be attentively. Keep a close watch on yourselves and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. A good pastor keeps a close watch on his own godliness. He keeps a close watch on his his teaching and that he's teaching God's word in in such a way that it will produce godliness. Because what we we believe transforms who we are, right? Keep Keep a watch to make sure... That we're be being trained in the right things. Save, save here it has the meaning of of um of like preserving or protecting. How how we a pastor lives and what a pastor teaches can save you from your faith being derailed by some lie or deception or by a sin that's creeping in, right? You've, you've had that happen where you, you've got some sin creeping in your life and the pastor just happens to preach that, that message and it, and it touches on that nerve and you go, oh man if I don't correct this right now, I'm going in the wrong direction. That's how a pastor can do that. Or the pastor sees it and comes to you and says, hey, I see this. I think you're moving in the wrong direction. And you have a choice right then whether to listen or whether to ignore. It's tempting as a pastor when you see some small sin in someone's life or some small error in their doctrine to think oh i don't need i don't need I don't need to bother with that. It's not that big of a deal but too often those small things left unchecked become big issues. Finally, in verses one and two we see that his training program needs to be done wisely. In the first two verses of chapter 5, Paul gives some specific instructions on how to train different people differently. If you've ever done physical tra- uh, been a physical uh, trainer, personal trainer, or you've been to personal training, you understand that the program is different for different people depending on where they're at. It's not one-size-fits-all all the time. Different people need different things. And, and when you've got older men and older women, you've got younger men and, and younger women, and Timothy, this young Timothy needs to relate to them differently. Young Timothy should harsh, shouldn't harshly rebuke an older man. He should take the approach of encouragement, honoring them as, as if they're uh, for, for the fathers that they are. But with younger men, well, you treat them like brothers, you've seen brothers, right? You know, there's a little more poking and prodding. That goes on there. There's a little bit more like, dude, pull yourself together kind of stuff. With older women, should be honored like mothers. And Paul, Paul assumes we understand what that should look like, and I, I hope we do. Finally, he says, with younger ladies, treat them as sisters and specifically treat them gently, but, but especially interacting with them with the utmost purity. And a good pastor is to do that. See, no pastor is going to get all these right all the time, or in every way. Clearly, Timothy isn't, or else Paul wouldn't be giving him these instructions, right? But it, but it gives pastors some guidelines for how to pastor well, and it gives us some guidelines for what to look for in a good pastor. And, and, and when you're bothered by your current pastor, if it's because of one of these things, then you go, oh, that does bug me, but thank God. Thank God. So what will we look for in a pastor when that day comes? And what do we expect now? Godliness of character and faithfulness of preaching or impressive personality and talent? Desire to put forth Christ and sow true godliness in our soul or an agreement on certain opinions and preferences? A desire to see us grow in holiness or an ability to make us happy and feel satisfied? Which will it be? Jesus didn't live and die to soothe you in your sin. He came to save you from it. We need pastors, that pastor accordingly. Jesus didn't come to satisfy, you know, what desires you have right now. He came to transform your desires. And we need pastors who shepherd accordingly. A good pastor pursues godliness for himself and the church. He points himself and the church to Christ. He looks to God to God's word and teaches it, and he sets his hope on God for all things. Let's pray.